This is the first Sunday in Lent, <clears throat> the solemn season of Lent, but uh, we don't have to go around wearing long faces, if, even though it's solemn. What I'm going to do in my sermon is say a number of things that I said uh, on Ash Wednesday, so for those of you who were there will we'll recognize some of the material about the sense of the season itself. And then I'm going to say something about the gospel that you heard from Mark, where Jesus is baptized, and then he goes into the wilderness and is tempted. And the discussion of the temptations in Mark is far more spare than it is uh, in the other gospels. So I want to say something about how we might understand uh, the temptation in the desert and what the connection is. And then I may say something before that about uh, the, the whole issue of Lent is a time when we are supposed to engage in hair-raising austerities and whether that's the best uh, way to understand the history of the season. So I'll just begin by the three themes that are going to move throughout the whole of Lent. They are repentance, reconciliation, and the importance of godly motives. And uh, that has been the substance of the Lenten season since it evolved over time. Lent was originally a time when uh, the focus was on the preparation of those who were to be baptized on Easter because Easter was the only time anybody got baptized. So uh, certainly in Constantinian, uh, in the Constantinian settlement, uh, people had to go through a, a three-year preparation to get baptized. So we don't have absolute knowledge that that was rigorously observed but once Constantine declared the Christian religion the legal religion of the Roman Empire, then lots of people got baptized as adults, which was the normative age for that. And then when you ran out of adults, you started baptizing infants so that we got everybody in, in one form or another. And we baptized infants because we believe that there is biblical warrant to do that. There are a lot of Christian traditions that don't that don't baptize uh, infants and young children, but uh, we do and have always. So the season was one of preparation and renewal of one's baptismal covenant. And then, in Western Christianity, the Bible got translated into Latin from Greek. So in the Greek text, it says in these places where we have John the Baptist and everything. In Greek, it says metanoiete, repent, turn around, look in a different direction for where you're looking for happiness. And when Jerome translated that into Latin, he said penitentium agite, do penance. So Christian people in the West have been saying, well, that's what the main focus of this is. We should be engaged in, in rather austere penitential practices. And uh, that's something that has colored the way in which we've kept Lent for a long, long time. And it's really only since uh, the renewal in the church's liturgy that we have recovered some sense of the connection to baptism. So I've said this to you many times. On Ash Wednesday, I went into the church after the 10 o'clock liturgy was over, and I, I sat down in a pew and opened the Book of Common Prayer to the, to the baptism baptismal service, and I read to myself the baptismal covenant in the prayer book. And I said, how have I been doing since last Ash Wednesday? 
you know, a reflection about that kind of thing. So repentance has something, though, to do with uh, your inner conversion or reconversion, <clears throat> being converted uh, to what it is that you originally <clears throat> believed. Conversion is a process, and the people who have written about it, in, uh, uh, who are famous in Christianity, are people like St. Augustine, who said uh, what he felt was that when he was converted, he says this in the convention, he was, uh, felt a, a, a disturbance, some form of agitation. And then that agitation caused him to do a, a reflection on his own life and personal history. And as he was engaged in that process, he realized that there was something bigger than himself out there, God, who was assisting him in this process. And he was able then to get some clarity about how his life had gone and the direction that he wanted his life now to take. And he believed that God was present to him in this way. And so he changed his behavior. Repentance involves some change of behavior. The words for it in the Bible say they are uh, in one sense, the internal state, emotional, spiritual, and mental, is going through a transformation. And there's another word for it in the, in the Bible, too, which says all that's part of it, but you need to put it in your hands. You need to do something about all of that. So when we talk about things in Lent or giving up stuff or doing all of that kind of thing, we have to also realize that involved in this process, and it's continuously so all the time, is the self-regulation of instinctual drives. People have to learn how to do that. Some people call it socialization, get up and brush your teeth. You know, there was a big debate in the uh, medieval church and even in the apostolic period. Uh, people wanted to know, and they argued, the uh, fathers of the church argued about whether Jesus went through a moral development which can also under, be socialism, get up and brush your teeth? Or did he just know all this neat from the jump? And the conclusion that they came to was, yes, he did have to go through a, point, a, a, a process of moral development because he was a human being, and we all do. Some of us get socialized better than others, I think, but that that's part of the process that we need to do so repentance is something we do all the time, but maybe with a particular focus uh, in Lent that is a, a little bit more rigorous, I suppose, is the best way to say that. Uh, in the, the epistle for Ash Wednesday, Paul is speaking about, one of, it's one of my favorite passages, the we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. So what is it that you do? Well, on page 855 of the Book of Common Prayer, it says in the Catechism, what is the mission of the church? Answer. The mission of the church is to restore all people to unity with God and each other in Christ. And so the individual Christian is engaged uh, or needs to be engaged in this process of reconciliation such that people begin to understand who they are as human beings 
and that we understand that in a world that is full of conflict and difficulty, battle and murder, that Christian people need to have some influence on reconciling work so that that's, that's done. Desmond Tutu, uh, in his book, uh, No Peace Without uh, Forgiveness, somebody asked him in an interview I saw on, on YouTube, he said, well, if we seek to reconcile with people who have harmed us in a terrible ways in South Africa, uh, what do we do when we do that if we forgive them? And he said, you have now relinquished your right to seek revenge. You have relinquished your right to seek revenge. And so by virtue of that, uh, what does the other person have to do, the one you've forgiven? And Tutu says, confess. Confess. And it begins the process of moving in a uh, healing direction. So those are some of the things we think about in Lent regarding reconciliation and why it's so important, you know. Forgiving does not mean forgetting. It means relinquishing your right to seek revenge, among other things. So I always think of that when I think about reconciliation uh, this time of year. Godly motives are something that um, I never realized this once, but I heard a, a lecture at a clergy conference where uh, the, the presenter was speaking about corrupt motives, you know, hidden agendas, things we wish to get out of something so we do, it, do things this way, and corrupt motives are what we need to push to the side and ask ourselves exactly what it means to have godly motives. Father Keating speaks about this. I've talked about it endlessly. The place where we have uh, the, the biggest work to do with godly motives in ourselves are in around three energy centers, he calls them. Security and survival, affection and esteem, and power and control. And those are things which, which we have to deal with on a daily basis. We can't get away from them. We're human beings. And each of those things is, are necessary in some way for our flourishing. But if they get off the rails, we know what that means. Things are off the rails. So we need to do something about that. Father Keating said about the gospel that we heard today, Jesus redeemed us from the consequences of our irrational programs for happiness by experiencing them himself. He appears in the desert as a representative of the human race. So it was, a, it was time for, for, for us to understand how that gets put together in some way, that uh, he appears in the desert as a representative of the human race. There's something interesting about Mark's gospel in this story. Mark gets baptized, or excuse me, Jesus gets baptized, and when he comes out of the river, there's a voice. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The other two gospels, uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew and Luke, 
have the voice, uh, voice, but it's heard by everyone. This this gospel it's only heard by Jesus. Why is that important? If we think about it in Lenten terms, it means because it was an inner experience of Jesus, and it was a vocational moment for him that gave him his marching orders. He realized now in depth who he was and what he was supposed to do. And the first thing that he did was to go into the desert by himself and do some thinking. Probably that, 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 those biblical stories have something to do with why there, were, there are some people who believe that in order to get clear spiritually or to do this, they need to go into the desert and stay there. You know, in the contemplative tradition, the desert fathers, all of those people, they feel they need to do it that way, and they, may, they believe they have some warrant for it. They're not recommending it to everybody, but that it can produce some good results. Two weeks ago, I told you about St. Athanasius, the Bishop of Alexandria, who wrote a biography of a famous desert father named St. Anthony, or Antony, the English sometimes call him. He went and lived in a cave for 25 years in the desert by himself as a hermit. People would come and ask him stuff, you know, like, do you think the Tao is going to, you know, things like that. <laughs> but uh, he, he said, somebody found out. And he said, he's coming out of his cave. He's been there for 25 years. St. Anthony is going to come out of his cave. So a, a lot of people flocked out there to see him. And so, they're standing there, and Anthony comes out of the cave. And Athanasius said, here was a man who did not look like he had been wasted by extreme austerities. He didn't look particularly happy to see us, or particularly upset to see us. He was a man at home with himself. He was a man at home with himself. I wish somebody could say that about each one of us someday, right? Being at home with yourself. So I think Jesus went to the desert and got some clarity about what to do and then began his public ministry and comes back from the desert after being in the desert, as the story says, for 40 days or so. Now, I've said it, it's not really uh, getting involved in all kinds of austerities, you know. I won't eat any C's candy for the whole of Lent, you know. Or, I'm going to do this and, or not do this and so forth. Clint Fowler, the rector of the parish I began my ministry in, said, Lent is not a time to give up bad habits. Any time is the time to give up bad habits. <laughs> right? It's not for that. It's for getting some clarity about what it is. But I thought I'd read, because sometimes doing something uh, is not unimportant. So on Ash Wednesday, I read uh, from uh, one of... Evelyn Underhill's books. Who is Evelyn Underhill? She was a famous writer on the spiritual life in England in the early part of the 20th century. 
Her spiritual director, she was an Anglican, but her spiritual director was Baron von Hugel, who is famous in Western, around that era in the late 19th and early 20th century. And she was, she's writing a friend. Some people, when I was in seminary, uh, Agatha, um, Evelyn Underhill was thought of by a lot of the scholars that I heard talk about her as sort of the, um, what do you call, Agatha Christie of the spiritual life, right? So uh, that reputation has been redeemed, and I'm very grateful because she's good. So she's writing a friend about Lent and... Lenten austerities, and she says, as to your Lent, no physical hardships beyond what normal life provides. Take each of these as serenely and gratefully as you can, and make of them your humble offerings to God. Don't reduce sleep, don't get up in the cold, practice more diligently the art of turning to God with some glance or phrase of love or trust at all spare moments of the day. Be specially kind and patient with those who irritate you. Instead of wasting energy and being disgusted with yourself, accept your own failures and just say to God, well, in spite of all I may say or fancy, this is what I am really like, so please help my weakness. This is not self-disgust. It's the real and fruitful humility. So then she goes on to talk about mortification, which would be like, you know, having an armload of gladiolas on, on your knees and going across the plaza to go into the church, right? None of us would do that, of course, but, you know, mortification it's called. So she says, by preference, the mortification of the tongue, careful guard on all amusing criticism of others, on all complaints, however casual or trivial, deliberately refraining from, some, refraining sometimes, not always, from saying the entertaining thing. This does not mean you are to be dull or correct, but to ration this side of your life. I doubt whether things like sitting on the least comfortable chair affect you enough to be worth bothering about, but I'm sure custody of the tongue on the lines suggested could give you quite a bit of trouble and be a salutary bit of discipline, a sort of verbal hair shirt. The important thing is doing something beyond what perhaps you normally do. So I think from Evelyn Underhill, that's pretty good advice, and we can all do that, custody of the tongue. You know, it's hard not to gossip because gossip is fun for a lot of people. And uh, it, can be, it can be just pernicious. And it's a good time to remind ourselves of that. So this week, remember that, the, that Lent is for the purpose of working on our irrational programs for happiness. And as you make progress in big and small ways, you are prepared for the infusion of divine love at Easter, and for that matter, throughout the year. Amen. <laughs>